appreciate that. Thank you. All right. Good evening, everybody. Man, it is good to be here. What a time of worship. Amen. Woo. That was powerful. I was, God was just touching my heart as we were worshiping. And I don't know if that girl who's just leading is still here, but I just, I felt like it's a blessing. She'll be back. She's appropriately named blessing. Yeah, I just, I'll share a word with her later, but uh, I just, I wanted to um, just get into the word of God tonight. How many here love God's word? All right. How many here love the whole thing? Like even the parts that you don't fully understand. How many love that stuff too, right? Like we just, we love, we love the Bible from the index to the maps, right? Like it's just the whole thing. We love the Bible. It is God's inspired word and God speaks to us through his word. And uh, I believe that God has a word for this, uh, for this room tonight, for this generation. And um, I feel like I feel like there's like an assignment that I have to kind of carry as I speak to you tonight. And I hope this is okay, but I'm not going to talk down to you. I hope that's all right. Um, I, I feel like, um, you know, sometimes as leaders and as Cody was saying, I've been pastoring in uh, Grimsby, Ontario. How many here know where Grimsby is? Wow. Geography buffs. It's amazing. We're, we're like halfway between uh, Toronto and Buffalo. And, uh, and so that's kind of where we, where we find ourselves. And, uh, you know, sometimes as, as pastors and leaders, you know, there's, there can sometimes be a conversation of, you know, lamenting what needs to be happening and hoping for something different, uh, in the next generation. But I think, I think the reality is, is that we get what we preach for. And I, I think that we, we need to actually, uh, you know, I had this thought while we were worshiping tonight, I was thinking about, uh, Titanic, not the movie, but you know, you kind of, kind of can't help but think about the movie when you're thinking about the Titanic, you know, it's like forever it's Rose and Leo, you know, anyways, um, but I was thinking about how like it's actually recorded in history that as that ship was taking on water and they knew for sure it was going down, they knew for sure it was beyond rescue. This thing was going to go down to the bottom of the ocean. And while that was the case, there was still musicians who sat on the deck and they played happy music for everybody. So it's like, you know, it's like, we're going to die, but let's just kind of pretend we're not. And, and let's just kind of play happy music and just be like, you know what? Like, uh, who, who doesn't want to go for a cold Arctic swim, right? Like, it's just this weird juxtaposition of knowing a truth and being too weak to say everybody, all hands on deck, we're, we're in a state of emergency. And I feel like what, what I, I have to carry tonight and, and just bring this word is to a, a room full of young adults that I think you're aware that we're in somewhat of a state of emergency. I'm not talking about like some natural emergency, but from a spiritual reality, there is a need for this generation to actually, you know, strap in and realize that what we're walking in in this generation is not exactly Jesus friendly. I don't know if you've noticed that. I, I, I've noticed it. James and I have noticed this. We're what you would call observant. That's what it is. But like, this isn't necessarily a time that's like pro-Christian, pro-Jesus. I don't know if you've noticed this, but sometimes it's almost as though, uh, you know, when you, when you hold to a biblical worldview and some of the convictions that have been, uh, you know, part of the confessional church for generations, like what we find ourselves walking in as historical Orthodox faith, as followers of Jesus Christ, somehow there are labels of hatred and, and bigotry and things that are trying to get attention to that. And I don't want to talk down to you and just be like, rah, rah, sis, boom, blah. Like, I, I feel like what we need is to actually be equipped for the time that we're in. Is that all right? And so I want to talk to you guys tonight about, about swimming upstream. I want to talk about going upstream. Uh, I don't know if anybody here has ever caught a salmon. I don't mean to brag, but I have. When? This summer, actually. Thanks for asking. I, I went out on a charter. It, I'm getting there, James. It was... It was the biggest salmon in the history. No, it was good. I, anybody here ever caught a salmon? Anybody? Just, oh, these guys over here. You know what I'm talking about. So I went out on Lake Ontario. We chartered a boat with a few friends. We got out there. And uh, I caught three salmon, actually. 
and I caught the biggest one of the day. It was 21 pounds. Praise the Lord. God is good. And uh, yeah, it was, it was actually a lot of fun. Now, I, I'm not what you would call an outdoorsman, okay? I'm not, I'm not like the most, you know, hunting, fishing, gathering kind of guy. But, you know, every once in a while, I, I, I like to dabble. I dabble a bit. And so I, I did a little bit of research because we talked about this idea of swimming upstream. And what I discovered is that salmon, they actually will kind of lay and hatch their eggs in, a, in the bed of a river in kind of a quiet area on a riverbed. And salmon will spawn there. And then they will swim from that freshwater river into most of them live out in salt, salty ocean water. And then when they're coming near the end of their life and they're at mature adult stage, they will turn around and by instinct, they will swim back to where the breeding ground was and they will swim upstream. And if you can kind of picture what that means, like it's not as though, uh, you know, it's not as though like fish have like arms or something where they could just like, I'm just going to pause for a second and grab this rock. Like, like when a salmon, when a salmon decides it's going to swim upstream, it's like, you got you to gotta keep doing it. Like you can't stop. Because if you stop, what happens? You, you go back down and you lose all of that ground or river, if you will, that you've gained. And so this picture of kind of this struggle to move upstream is this idea of recognizing there's a place of needing to get back to the birthplace. Needing to get back to the place of orig origin. And I feel like God is calling this generation to get back upstream to the place of origin in the house of God, to get back, to get back to the beginning, to get back to where, where we're not copying what other people are doing. And we're not just kind of going through the motions, but we're finding ourselves swimming upstream, not to try to just invent something new, but to get back to what we know is the way and the truth and the life, the, the pure gospel, the simple gospel, Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. And so I feel like there's a constant pull in this culture. You guys know what I'm talking about. There's a constant pull in this culture that is trying to pull your attention away from the things of God. Let's be real. There's a constant pull away from just simple time in God's word and taking time in God's presence. There's a simple pull, a, a constant pull that is trying to take us away from just, you know, basic fundamental spiritual discipline. And then there's, there's a pull into distraction and there's a pull into sin. And there's a pull into all of these things that are trying to move us off the course. And I feel like God sent me here to say to you guys tonight that he's looking for a generation that will say, no, I'm not going to go in the way of this culture, but I'm going to go upstream in the way of the kingdom of God. I want to move in the direction of his voice. See, because we, we come from a spiritual lineage where in the New Testament, the first leaders that God appointed, that Jesus appointed over his church were called apostles. And these apostles, every single one of them paid with their lives to declare the good news of Jesus. They're called martyrs. They, they actually preached something that was so offensive to the culture that they were in that they died for it. History tells us that Peter, the guy we read of through all the gospels, you know, the, the, the one who confessed Jesus as the Christ, history tells us that when Peter came to the end of his life, they wanted to crucify him to almost make mockery of his faith in Jesus. And when he found out they were going to crucify him, he said to the officials that were nailing him to that cross, he said, I'm not worthy to be crucified in the same way as my Lord. So crucify me upside down because I have such deference in my heart to the Lordship of Jesus. And so when the Bible talks about death to ourselves, yes, it's metaphorical when it comes, you know, it's not like the Bible's saying, like, if you really love Jesus, just die. Like, it, but it's, it's saying on the inside, metaphorically, I need to die to myself. But if need be, it's not a metaphor. I need to be so willing to stand for truth that I would die for it. That's, that's where we draw lineage from. And if I can just be real, I don't think that we're going to see a generation die for Jesus if they can't keep their hands off their girlfriend or keep the joint out of their mouth or keep themselves from getting hammered every Saturday night. And yet, oh, I, I really love Jesus, but I've just got some good feelings on a Sunday morning. 
Sorry, I came to preach. So And so when we, when we come into the house of God and we just kind of want to be, you know, kind of coddled and just kind of, you know, tell me I'm okay. We don't find ourselves back at the place of origin. We don't find ourselves at the place where the birth of the life that we came into, that's not the birthplace that you came into new life in Christ. The birthplace that you came into life in Christ is the death and resurrection of Jesus. And he calls you and me to be his disciples. Can I just, can I just give you something? If you're going to take some notes here tonight, I'd encourage you to do it just because I think it's good. Your, your, your phone won't forget unless it doesn't back up, but like you can write it down with a pen and paper (laughs) vintage. (laughs) Listen guys, the new Testament uses the word Christian three times. The New Testament uses the word disciple 230 times. I think we should take a hint that Christian actually initially was a derogatory term and Christian is actually meant to say like a, like a little Jesus. That's what they, they're kind of like, Oh, look at those little Jesuses, that little Christ over there. And the church grabbed it and said, you know what? That's actually a pretty good designation. I would love to be in some way a small representation of Jesus. Over the course of time, Christian has come to mean all kinds of things. And we live in a time where it's kind of like a political worldview. But disciple is someone who you can kind of catch. There's a root word there into the word discipline. It's people who are under the discipline of a master. And they're disciples. There's discipline in following. They're coming after Jesus. They're following after him. And listen, you can't follow somebody that you can't see. You can't follow somebody that you're not close enough to, to actually catch the direction that they're going. And I think God is calling us into greater intimacy and he's calling us upstream. So I want you to take your Bibles tonight and I want you to go with me to the book of Jude. It's the second last book in the new Testament. And I want us to just take a look at a couple of verses there together. I want to unpack them. And then in a few moments, we're going to respond in prayer. I feel like the Lord is just wanting to actually kind of lay down a, a, a challenge in this house, lay down like a gauntlet, so to speak, of his word, that, that there would be people in this room who would embrace the call of discipleship and say, you know what? I actually want to be a part of seeing a move of God in my lifetime. I want to be a part of a revolution of grace. And I want to be a part of the continuum of the kingdom of God where heroes of the faith like Peter and Paul and, and, and just, you know, champions of the faith from generations past that we would find ourselves standing in a line saying, Lord, I'll do whatever you call me to do. I'll go wherever you call me to go. The book of Jude, are you there? It's one chapter. And so I just want us to take a look at just two verses. It says this in Jude verse three and four. It says, dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt I had to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to the saints. For certain men whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. They are godless men who change the grace of our God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ, our only sovereign and Lord. Father, I ask tonight in the name of Jesus that your word would have free course in this room. Lord, as we've worshiped and as we have prepared our hearts by focusing our attention solely upon you now, we continue in that focused concentration and we welcome you, Holy Spirit, to captivate the thoughts in our minds that, Father, now every argument would become subject to the lordship of Jesus Christ in this room. And I pray that, Father, you would let your word go deep into our hearts and produce a harvest in us. I pray in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. So this, this guy, Jude, is writing this letter. Fun fact, Jude was Jesus' little brother. I thought you guys would think that was pretty cool. So they're like half brothers, right? 
because Jesus' dad was God the Father. So, so he had the good genes, right? Can you imagine being Jesus' little brother, right? Like your mom was like, why can't you be more like your older brother, Jesus? She's like, um, I'm trying, <laughs> right? It's like Jesus just, you know, when it's his turn to make supper, it just kind of like appears, you know? It's like, nice, you know? Um, but there's something compelling about someone who had that close proximity to Jesus and didn't think his brother was somehow delusional or think that he was somehow deceived, but he actually became a disciple. And if you go to the beginning of the book, he, he, he calls himself a brother of James. And everyone knew the James he was talking about, not this James, the Bible James. And that James, everyone knew was Jesus' brother. And Jude became such a humble servant. That's what he said. He said, I'm Jude, a servant of Jesus, brother of James. In other words, I'm not trying to appeal to some natural lineage to say, listen to me because I grew up with Jesus or he's my older brother. Listen to me because I'm a servant of his because he actually is who he says he is. And so the authorship that is here in terms of human authorship is something that is compelling for us to lay hold of. And here's Jude. He's putting pen to paper and he wants to encourage. This is one of the general letters. It wasn't sent to a specific congregation, but it was distributed to churches of that time. And he was like, I was going to talk to you about something else but I felt a shift. I felt a sudden urge that I needed to shift the content that I was coming to you with because it felt like I needed to remind you guys that these are serious times that we're living in where things are not exactly copacetic, where things are kind of challenging and there's some distortions and there's some, there's some divisions and there's some things that are being said even from pulpits that need to be corrected. And so I need to be the one that brings the correction. He's got a concern for the church. He felt an urge to address the need to contend for the faith against the backdrop of muddled teachers and bad theology. When he says, I'm going to urge you to contend, everybody say contend. That word contend in the, in the New Testament, it's the only time that word is used in the whole Bible. So it's of singular importance. It's supposed to grab our attention. If you're a Bible geek, you're just like, well, that's amazing. Like this is one of those, you know, it's not like and and the, it's like, this is a word that has some singular, we got to grab hold of this. And the word contend is defined to struggle in opposition, or as I've been talking about, it's to swim upstream. To contend is to struggle in opposition. Elsewhere in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul writes to his spiritual son, Timothy, and he tells him to fight the good fight of the faith. There are a lot of things that we can choose to fight about. I don't know if you've noticed, but over this past 18 months, there's a lot of things people like to fight about. People will fight about anything. And even in the church, people can find a reason to cancel each other and be upset and just like, you're not as serious as I am because I'm taking this stand raw for me. And people will find all kinds of reasons to fight. But listen, the good fight is not just, you know, fighting for your personal rights and freedoms. The good fight is to contend for the faith that was entrusted once and for all. It's to contend for the word of God. The reason we need to swim upstream, the reason we need to contend is because either you do that or you get carried away by the current. And there is a current that is pushing through this Canadian culture that you are going to need to contend with. You're going to need to swim upstream against. There is no standing still. You're either moving in the direction of the voice of God or you're drifting in the lane of culture. There's no in between. A line has been drawn and a direction must be chosen. We find ourselves in this mainstream of culture that's flowing in a direction that in many ways is opposed to the doctrines and the teaching of Jesus Christ. And I want to assure you, the book of Jude is written for such a time as this. He says that we need to fight and contend for the faith that was entrusted once and for all to the saints. 
We have been entrusted. You have been entrusted. Raise your hand if you've given your life to Jesus and he is the Lord of your life. You're serving Jesus. You're actively following after Jesus all over this room. Okay, don't get too excited, but that's pretty amazing. You went from death to life. Jesus is the Lord of your life. You're going to heaven when you die. Raise your hand again. Get a little excited. Who here is following after Jesus? He's the Lord of your life. Okay, so big deal. This is a room full of disciples. You have been entrusted with the faith. It's not just your faith. It's not just how you feel about Jesus. How you feel about Jesus is cool and everything, but that's not what you're contending for. You're contending for the faith, the sound apostolic doctrine of the early church that has been passed like a baton in a relay race from generation to generation. That's what you're contending for, is the same faith that caused for Peter to say, I'm not worthy to be crucified in the same way as my Lord. Crucify me upside down. That same faith, that's what you're contending for. That's what you hold in your hand. That's what Jesus has called you to. It's to walk in a succession of apostolic doctrine and faith. We do not have the privilege or the right to redefine this faith to accommodate the whims of a downstream culture. We don't have the right. We're called to struggle in opposition to that which would endeavor to recreate or rebrand the central elements of faith in Christ. In other words, I'm saying to you, don't deconstruct your faith. I mean, it's cool and all in the contemporary culture, but that's something to contend against. The idea that I'm just deconstructing. I mean, it sounds cool. It sounds really spiritual. Hey, man, like I haven't seen you at Tehillah in a little while. I haven't seen you at church in a while. What's going on? Yeah, I'm just in a season of deconstructing. What's that all about? Well, I started reading from some different authors who actually don't believe in the Bible. It's really interesting to actually like take in some of this um, garbage and just like see what it tastes like. Deconstruction is just, that's just a, a relabel for backsliding. And, and I, again, I'm not talking down to you. I, I think you need to be cautious about what you take into yourself. I think you need to be cautious about what you listen to, what you're entertained by. Is that old school? Who cares? What entertains you? What makes you laugh? Where do you spend your time? What's influencing the way that you think? If you have hours of Netflix and seconds of Bible, there's a problem. And if we're going to contend, we're going to have to swim upstream. We can't just be flowing along with it and be like, I'm just being salt and light. Are you? Are you really? Yeah, I'm just like, I'm just out there. Like, guys, I've been at this for a while. I've been pastoring for a while. I've been going to church since I was a fetus. Like, I understand some of the excuses, okay? And like, there is a long lineup of people who've come to me and they're just like, you know what? I just have a burden. Like, I don't really have any non-Christian friends anymore. And so I just feel like I just like I want to go to the club to like just like reach out. <laughs> I guess you've had some of those conversations. I was like, yeah, I just have a burden for people in the club. Really? Yeah. Yeah, I want to lay hands on some people in there. <laughs> Do ya? And it's amazing how quickly it goes from I have a burden to where does it say in the Bible that I can't fill in the blank? Where does it say that I can't? You know, the most legalistic people in the world are the people that are trying to get away with something. They're so legalistic. They're like, where does it say that I can't? Where does it say in the Bible? Like, you know, it's like, guess what, guys? Your actual name and birthday is not in the Bible. You're going to have to discern a little bit. <laughs> like when Paul is talking about like the acts of the sinful nature, he adds at the end of a bunch of description, he's like, and the like. In other words, catch my drift. It's stuff like this. Think about it. <laughs> I, just, I just had a burden. No, you don't have a burden. That's not a burden. That's, that's, like, that's like Eve saying, I have a burden for apples. 
I want a taste of the glory. See what it tastes like, you know. I want to taste the apples. Where does it say in the Bible it's an apple, by the way? Right? What if it was a coconut and she had to try really hard? That's grace. All right. Guys, we don't get to redefine our faith. You need to be on guard about the stuff that you're taking in and the stuff that's starting to make you go, hmm? It's, it's good to be indoctrinated. It's good to have doctrine. It's good to actually you know, question things. Like the book of Proverbs says that a wise man doesn't just quickly tear down an ancient boundary stone. In other words, when you see a boundary stone that doesn't make sense to you, a wise man says, hmm. Like if I was a farmer and I had a big property and then I go out in the very back of my property and I find a fence, a wise man says, hmm, I wonder why this fence was here. A fool pulls it down. If the boundaries of grace and the boundaries of morality that the Bible prescribes to disciples don't make sense to you on first blush, get in line. And when you're in a culture that is basically just do whatever feels right to you, live your life, have your truth, do your thing, then you're living in a time. Listen. Any kind of standard sounds like religion to somebody who has no standard whatsoever. And we don't get to redefine it. We don't get to pull the fence post up. We don't get to just change the lines and just be like, you know what? Like, I just, I just feel like we need to kind of update the gospel. Cool. Show me where you get licensed to do that. Uh, you don't. And in fact, here we have Jude speaking, and it's the eternal word of the Lord that I feel like there's this urgency from that book speaking to my heart, speaking to this season, speaking into this room. I need to urge you, contend, swim upstream, contend for the faith, not just your faith, not just your experience, contend for the faith that was entrusted to the saints, which is you, by the way, if you've given your life to Jesus, that was entrusted to the saints once and for all. Don't deconstruct, fortify, and build yourself up in faith. And here, Jude is making the case that we need to actually be aware of an assault on theology. You're like, what's theology? Theos, God. Logos, words. An assault on God's word. An assault on words about God. There's an assault on theology. There's an assault on sound doctrine. And most particularly, he says, there's an assault on the grace of God. We're living in a time where grace means all kinds of things. I mean, that can be a lady's name. Grace can be like what you call praying for supper. Would you like to say grace? Every kid, grace. <laughs> Got you, dad. But Jude says it's nothing new. There is, a, there is an assault on grace that he felt the need to write about and, and, and to urge the church to contend for. We need to be on guard. We do. You and I do. We need to be on guard for that which would attempt to pervert and redefine grace, even in the slightest. Grace can be defined this way. It can be defined as Jesus taking it upon himself to keep you in God's love. Grace is God's divine empowerment to live a whole new kind of life. Grace is. This is my definition. Grace is God enabling you to live like Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's grace. That's grace. And we use grace and mercy as if they're interchangeable terms. And they're not. Grace is God actually empowering you to live a whole new kind of life. Before you gave your life to Jesus, you were powerless in your struggle against sin. There were things that you didn't, you know, you kind of felt bad after, but you didn't have any conviction about it. You just knew you felt bad after, and you're kind of like trying to be a good person, and everybody sucks at that. But then when you gave your life to Jesus, suddenly grace came into your life where you actually got a new nature and a new instinct, and you actually now have power to live a whole new kind of life. You can actually be what the Bible calls a new creation, and you can live a whole new kind of life because of grace. And Jude says 
there's some people, some false teachers who have, in his words, secretly crept in and switched the labels on grace and sin. He comes in and he says, there's some people who have secretly crept in among you and they have changed the grace of God into a license for immorality or for doing evil or for sin. Now I'm telling you, if there's a word for this moment that we find ourselves in, it's this word right here. Because that sloppy version of grace is all over the place in this downstream culture. And you get to hear all kinds of sloppy grace messages that basically is what Jude warns about, where you change God's enabling power. He's going to make you like Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. And someone comes in and says, oh, is that what you think grace is? I'm going to tell you what grace is. Grace is a license for sin. It's a license for doing evil. But here's the deal. No one comes in and they're like, I have a message tonight. God bless you. Thanks for coming to Tehillah tonight. I have a word for you. It's three steps in how you can do evil. <laughs> because you guys are smart. You're like, wait a second. That's not a good word. I don't think that we should take license to do evil. So what do they do? They come in and they give you a license to do evil, but they call it grace. So the label says grace. The label says, you know, this, this is a can of soup. That's what it says. And then you open it up and it's like a can of corn, creamed corn, like already chewed corn that someone put in a can. It's like, have this. It's delicious. The label's wrong. Jude says, I need to warn you. There's, there's been a perversion of grace. They've snuck in. They haven't been honest in their lifestyle and their message. They've snuck in through a side door. They don't have covering. They're self-appointed men and women who've got something to say. And when they can't find an orthodox platform to do it from, they build their own and they take people with them. They try to redefine the central tenets of what it is to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And they slap a label on it that sounds really soothing and comforting. They call it grace. They stick the label on there. Oh, you don't have to. Hey, listen, let's just take this verse and beat the living tar out of it. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Just stick that on everything. Yeah, I'm feeling some conviction because, you know, I was doing some things that I shouldn't have done. Dude, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Grace. Really? Oh, yeah. Grace. Grace that says, do whatever you want to do because you found the loophole. Jesus is obligated to forgive you no matter what, even if you have no intention of ever living for him. That's a problem. Freedom, the, the, the title of freedom, the title of grace, it becomes a cover up for evil. Grace becomes a catch all doctrine, which doesn't empower me to live for Jesus, but it empowers me to live for myself presumptively in Jesus' name. And so Jude says that these guys that are teaching stuff like that, I mean, you got to try this on. I know we read it, but sometimes stuff just goes right past us. He goes, they're doomed. They're doomed, brothers and sisters. Now, I know it's 2021, but I'm just, I'm going to preach the Bible. This is what he's saying is those guys are going to hell. Hey, Jude. Hey, Jude. Right? Hey, Jude. What do you mean they're going to hell? Who can really know what's in their heart? Like, who are you to say, Jude? How can you say that they're going to hell? I don't think you have that right. He's like, just did it. It's in the Bible. Deal with it. He's like, their condemnation was written about long ago. Who are you to say that? How can you know what their motives are? Listen, as heavy as it sounds, Jude wasn't judging based on opinion. He's agreeing with Jesus' words about true and false teachers. You don't have to go here. Let me read it to you. Matthew chapter 7, Jesus says, Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they're ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down, thrown into the fire, and thus by their fruit you will recognize them. Jesus is saying, guess what? 
You can tell if someone has got a root to him or not, and it's going to be by the fruit of their lives. He continues. Jesus says this, Matthew 7, same, same verse. I'm just going to the next one. Verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But only he who does the will of my father who's in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you away from me, you evildoers. Jesus said that for all the people who just think Jesus was out like wearing a free hugs t-shirt. Scary verse. Jesus is like, not everyone who says, Lord, Lord. And then they, they list some pretty amazing things. Lord, didn't I prophesy? Didn't I cast out demons? Wasn't I super charismatic? Like, didn't I have a really cool ministry and everything? And people came and bought my books. But Jesus is like, no, there, there's, there's some fruit that comes from intimacy. It's, it's not just like, it's kind of like gifts of the spirit after a while. It's kind of like, it's like, you know how to use God's credit card, but you don't have any relationship with him. And Jesus says, you can't get figs from a thorn bush. He called false prophets evildoers. That's what they do. They do evil. They have a lifestyle of unrepentant sin. And Jude says, when he's warning about false teaching, where you swap the labels on grace, he's like, there's judgment. There's condemnation. He's saying, it's not for me. I'm, I'm not judging him. But it's based on a faithful reading of God's word. So listen to me. A healthy view of grace does not lead me to believe that all scriptural interpretations are equal. A healthy view of grace makes me diligent in being sure that I'm nourished by voices that will strengthen my faith in Christ. I'm telling you, I didn't come to talk down to you. I, I believe God's calling you up into the high level of the faith where you're willing to be a disciple and follow Jesus. It offends a certain narrative to say that these men are condemned. But listen, when we preach a heaven without hell, we preach an incomplete gospel. And we, when we preach salvation without repentance, we're preaching a different gospel. Repentance, meaning like you change the way that you think and act about Jesus and you live a whole new kind of life. And while no one is perfect to reframe grace and thereby remove the conviction of the Holy Spirit from the life of a believer, that's a condemnable charge. And so Jude doesn't say, let's go on a witch hunt and find all the bad teachers out there. But he says, just strengthen your commitment to a Bible definition of grace. And if you know anything about like counterfeit, you know, bankers that deal with money, they don't go and study counterfeits. They don't try. Oh, I hear there's a, a fraud 50 out there. Let's study it. Let's get one. Let's look at it. Let's feel it. Let's smell it. Oh, yeah, that's a bad one. But all they do is they handle the legit day in and day out. And what happens is when the counterfeit comes through their fingers, they just, there's just something about it that's off. They know it by instinct because they become so familiar with the truth. These are godless men who change the grace of God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ, our only sovereign and Lord. Notice that redefining the grace of God is a denial of Christ. It's to deny Jesus. The person of Jesus is not separable from the character of Jesus. Jesus was the perfect human. He never sinned. He's sympathetic to us in our weakness. He's a great high priest. He knows what it's like to be human, but he does not condone our rebellion in the name of grace. And that's the heresy that Jude is addressing. The Bible tells us that Jesus one day was just preaching and teaching and the Pharisees, the religious people, they were trying to catch Jesus and they were trying to get him in trouble. And so they went and they found a lady who was in the act of adultery awkward moment. They just break into a hotel room. They're like, gotcha. Come with us. And they take the lady. They leave the dude there, by the way. And they bring this lady and they throw her at the feet of Jesus while he's teaching. And they say, hey, teacher, um, Moses law says we found this woman committing adultery. And Moses law says that we should stone her. We should throw rocks at her. What do you say about that? <laughs> Got him. And honestly, I have this theory when we get to heaven, 
we get to like watch highlight reels from the Bible. When I get to heaven, one of the highlight reels I want to watch is this scene right here. Because they throw the woman at Jesus' feet and they're like, we should throw rocks at her. What do you say, Jesus? And Jesus is like, hmm, he doesn't say anything. He gets down on the ground and he starts writing in the sand. And one by one, all these religious people, they got rocks in their hands like, yes, we get to kill somebody today. We're so righteous. And then they look at what Jesus is writing in the sand and they drop their rocks and they just walk away. I feel like Jesus is like, this is my theory. I think Jesus is like writing in the sand and he's like, your tax return from 2020, Bill, an arrow. And Bill's like, I'm out. And then he's like, don't forget that you were messing around with your neighbor, Steve. Everyone's just like, and so all these religious people walk away. They just drop the rocks. I love that religious people show up to a party with rocks in their pockets. Like just in case a stoning breaks out. And they all just drop their stones and they walk away. Listen, Jesus goes to the woman. You can just imagine, like she, her life has flashed before her eyes. She knows she's guilty. The only one who had the right to throw a rock at her was Jesus, because he's perfect. And Jesus kneels down beside her and he says to her, Lady, where are your accusers? And she says, Nowhere, my Lord. And he says, neither do I condemn you. But he doesn't stop there. He says, go and sin no more. Mercy is when Jesus didn't stone her to death. Grace is when he empowered her to live a whole new kind of life. Neither do I condemn you. That's mercy. Go and sin no more. That's grace. Unsanctified mercy is a mercy I claim to receive without a willingness to change my ways from that which requires mercy. That's unsanctified mercy. It's like, it's like I just, I found the loophole. I'm going to, you know, I'm not even really sorry. I don't even know if I really need to pray about this anymore. I just, <laughs> this is me. I've come to peace. This is me. This is my struggle. Is it, is it really your struggle? Like, are you struggling at all? Or are you just doing it? Yeah, this is me. Like this, this, I've just come to terms. This is, this is my wrestle. Is it your wrestle? Are you on a journey? Yeah, I just like, I just, I just, I just, I just can't seem to just kick this. So, you know, I just grace, man. Unsanctified mercy is a mercy that I claim to receive without a willingness to change my ways. That's repentance, a willingness to say I'm guilty and I need God's power to live a whole new kind of life. That's grace. When grace is redefined to embrace habitual sin, Christ is denied. Self is embraced. Specifically, redefining grace, according to our text here tonight, it denies the sovereignty of Jesus and it denies the lordship of Jesus. To deny the sovereignty of Jesus is to ignore the rule of God in every sphere. It's to separate your life into secular and sacred boxes. It's like, you know, Monday nights, this is a Jesus box. Tuesday nights, that's mine. It's to deny the sovereignty of God. It's just like, you know, I'm living for me a lot of the time, but then I kind of, I give Jesus weekend visitation rights. It's to deny his sovereignty. It's to, to separate our lives in little categories. To deny the lordship of Jesus is to assume self-leadership of your life. Many people want Jesus as their savior, but not as their Lord. And I would propose to you that biblically, salvation is a byproduct of lordship. Romans 10.9 says that if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and that God raised him from the dead, then you'll be saved doesn't say if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is your savior. Salvation is a byproduct of lordship. It's recognizing I am not in the driver's seat of my life anymore. Lordship is like all the stuff we sing about. I don't know who first originated this. I think it was Leonard Ravenhill first said this quote. I love this quote. He's like, Christians don't tell lies. They sing them. We sing things like, you know, Lord, I'm giving you my whole life. 
what, what we really mean is like, like I'm giving you these like few minutes while I'm feeling emotional singing. <laughs> but like when we, when we say we're giving him our lives, what that means is that we give him our lives. Like we give him, like you're, you're the Lord of my life. That means you're the Lord of my money. That means you're the Lord of what I watch, what I'm entertained, what I do for fun. You're the Lord of my attitudes on, on sexuality. You're the Lord of my attitudes on substance. You're the Lord of my attitudes on law and the rule of law. You're the, the Lord of everything that pertains to my whole life. I'm no longer in the driver's seat. You are. And I'm like, Jesus take the wheel is like, okay, like cool, Carrie. But like, he should have been driving the whole time. I'm going to get an angry letter from Carrie Underwood. <laughs> Again, <laughs> listen, a lot of what's passed for Christianity is this idea like, I, I don't want to go to hell, but I don't really want to live for Jesus either. And that makes for a miserable existence because you're too Christian to enjoy sinfully and you are too sinful to really enjoy Jesus. And Jesus calls that being lukewarm. So how do we deal with this charge that grace is being rewritten under our noses, that it's being redefined, that I can live however I want and just be like, whoops, sorry, found the loophole. Sorry, God, that was me just doing that again. We're good though, right? How do we deal with this? I'm just going to live however I want and just slap grace on it. Like, this, is this resonating with anybody? Like, I feel like that's like out there. I feel like that's in the thinking. Like, I'm just, I'm living for me, but I'm a Christian. Well, what does that mean? I'm a disciple of Jesus. Like, I'm, I'm representing Jesus, not just publicly, but like privately. Like, I'm, I'm in communion with him. Depart from me. I never knew you. Like, I don't want that to be true. I want him to know me. How do we deal with it? Jude said, this is, the, this is what we're talking about. Contend. Contend. Struggle in opposition. Swim upstream. Don't go, don't, don't go quietly. Don't slide with the times. We used to sing a song in church years ago. We used to sing a song that said, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. There's a second verse. Though none goes with me, still I will follow. No turning back. Our problem is when we want to be liked and we want to be popular. And let's get real. That's everybody in this room. That's why we have social media accounts. Let's be honest. You post something and you're like, I wonder how many likes I got. Scroll, scroll, scroll. Ooh, likes, likes, likes. I wonder if that girl that I'm kind of interested in, I wonder if she liked it. Cool. Maybe I'll like her picture next and we'll start something. <laughs> I want to be liked. I want to be popular. In recent times, I think we've made an idol out of this idea of being relevant, which is like we just want, we want, want everything to make sense to everybody. Like, can we be honest? Faith actually requires, oh, I don't know, faith? Like it doesn't all make sense. <laughs> like it takes a work of grace. It takes a work of the Holy Spirit. God convicts me of sin and, and, and convicts me of righteousness, shows me what's right, what's wrong, empowers me to live a whole new kind of life, it takes faith, and I'm gonna like believe in the resurrection of Christ. We're like, oh, you know, I'm a Christian. I'm just not a weird Christian. Like, what do you mean a weird Christian? Do you believe the Bible? Because there's a lot of weird stuff in there. Well, I'm like a Christmas and Easter Christian. Okay. Um, Christmas is God got a girl pregnant <laughs> so that he could take on human flesh and come to the world. And he announced it with angels. They were giving them secret missions of how to duck out from government officials who were trying to kill him. And then wise men came following a star and gave the most age appropriate birthday gifts they could give to a newborn. Here's some gold and frankincense and myrrh. Oh, perfect myrrh. We were hoping for this. Thank you. Easter? 
Jesus is crucified. And then after three days, he comes back to life and walks through walls and eats fish and says, be right back. I'm not a weird Christian. Like, could we just admit that if we actually were in the word, we'd realize that if you took the supernatural out of the Bible, you don't have a document. We're following after a supernatural God who changes lives from the inside out. What's happened in you is not just you became a better person. Jesus took you from dead and made you alive. Jesus doesn't take, make bad people good. He makes dead people live. There's a whole new life in you. And it's that faith that we've received like a baton in this relay race of faith that we get to run this leg of the race. And listen, we get to run in this generation where there is a downstream press of moving in all kinds of directions against what I'm preaching about tonight. But I'm not preaching to be liked or be popular. But I am not going to talk down to you. I'm going to say to you as disciples of Christ, this is what you are called into. This is what you're called to contend for. You're called to follow after Jesus. Though none go with you, still follow. Even if no one comes, I'm still going to follow. It doesn't mean I'm going to be weird on purpose or be obnoxious on purpose. It just means I'm going to stand for truth and I'm going to find common ground and I'm going to preach and I'm going to demonstrate the love and the mercy of Jesus, but I'm not going to budge on what it means to be born again and born of the spirit. What do we do in this time? We embrace the truth. We reject the counterfeit. We catch the lie. We identify it. We expose it. We disagree with it. We take up our cross daily and follow Jesus. Salvation is not a one and done contract. You take up your cross daily and follow him. This is what we need in this hour that we're living in. Thousands of Christ-like people fighting the good fight, living with conviction, faithful to the truth, contending for the faith that was entrusted once and for all. And I believe that God, by his spirit, through this word, is searching hearts in this room. I want you to close your eyes right where you are. Again, we close our eyes, not to get in a religious posture, but just to give some space for God to speak. It would be pointless to close your eyes and check Instagram. So just like, just put your phone off for a second. Don't chat with somebody right next to you right now. Just, just close yourself in for a minute. Jude said, I wanted to talk to you about something else, but I felt the need to just pivot and, and I felt the urge to just say, come on, contend against the backdrop of bad teaching and a false definition of grace. Maybe you find yourself here tonight and, and you've never actually really taken the time to just move outside of the feelings into the investigation of who is Jesus in my life? Is Jesus the Lord of my life? Can I really say that? Can I really say that my decisions, my behaviors, how I date, how I party, what I'm entertained by, it all goes through the filter of the Lordship of Jesus? Can I really say that? And tonight, the, the, the grace of God isn't just, hey, don't worry about it. Don't sweat it. You're fine. The grace of God is, guess what? You can live like Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. You can come into a whole new kind of lifestyle. That things that used to just weigh you down, unforgiveness, things that have happened to you that have just tried, you know, things that happened to you when you were young that like a young tree just tried to bend you and grow you sideways, you could actually straighten out because of grace. God could actually cause you to walk in forgiveness and wholeness and healing. You could actually live a, a whole new kind of life. Areas that the Bible just makes clear, this is sin. It's like you actually have grace on your side. It doesn't mean you're going to be perfect, but it means that you, you actually have a partnership with 
the Holy Spirit with inside of you to, to begin to resist and find strength to overcome things that have previously just held you down. Just while your eyes are closed and you're just centering yourself in here in this moment, maybe you're here tonight and, and, and you would just say, you know what, I actually... Ooh, I actually need to ask Jesus to be the Lord of my life. I don't think I've ever really done that. I think I've been the Lord of my life and I've kind of been a fan of Jesus more than I've been a disciple. And I, I need to move into discipleship. I need to actually partner with grace and live a new life by his power. If you're here tonight and you'd say, I, I want to make Jesus the Lord of my life. I feel him working on my heart. Maybe right now you're just, your heart's kind of pounding. You're like, I just, wow, I don't know what people would think. Who cares what people think? Jesus said, if you confess me in front of other people, I'll confess you before my father. Put the crowd behind you and, and just see Jesus. If tonight you'd say, I, I actually... This, this is just like, not just making sense, but this is like something's driving. I feel the spirit of God pulling me toward the lordship of Jesus. And I want to submit my life to him here and now and confess Jesus as Lord. And I'm counting the cost. I actually want to live for him and not myself from this day forward. I'm, I'm going to go all in. I'm not, I'm not going halfway. I'm not going to be a fan. I'm going to be a disciple. If you're here and you say, you know what? I'm, I'm ready to pray a prayer like that. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed because this is really like just an opportunity for you to make a confession. But if you'd say, yeah, I want to make Jesus the Lord of my life. I feel God working in my heart. If that's you, I want you to lift up your hand in this room as an act of faith saying that that's where I am. I need to make Jesus Lord. Yes. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, up in the balcony, 16, 17, 18 over here. Is there anyone else? If I've acknowledged your hand, put it down. Yes, 19, 20, 21. I want to make Jesus the Lord of my life. I want to stop living for me. I want to start living for him. And I feel like there's hope for me. I could actually do it because of grace, not my own might or power, but because of grace. Would there be anyone else? I'm going to live for Jesus starting now, starting right here. God bless you. There's 21 people in this room tonight saying, yeah, I need to say yes to Jesus. I need him to be the Lord of my life. Before we do anything else, this is like first priority. Before we move into any other kind of prayer, first priority is to actually do what the Bible calls us to do, which is to confess with our mouth. It's not just a mental assent, but we actually declare something. We speak something. We, we say out loud, Jesus is Lord. I believe, Listen to the supernatural confession you're about to make. I'm confessing that Jesus is Lord. In other words, he's in charge of everything. The entire universe created it all. He's the Lord of everything. And I'm confessing that he's the Lord of my life. He's in charge of me now. And I'm confessing that God raised him from the dead. I believe in the resurrection. Why is that important? Because at the end of your life, you're going to be resurrected through faith in Christ. That confession, the Bible says, if you'll confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and God raised him from the dead, then you'll be saved. If you're here and you love Jesus, I'm going to ask you to join with me and these 21 people. We're going to pray together. And if you raised your hand tonight, I want you to pray this with all the sincerity that you can. I know it might feel a little awkward that I'm just saying, repeat after me, but all I'm trying to do is just model what prayer looks like. It's just a conversation with God. And so I'm going to ask for the believers in this room, and I'm going to ask for these ones making a fresh commitment to follow after Jesus. I want every person that is walking with God or beginning a walk with God to repeat after me. Would you pray this prayer? Father God, I thank you for your word. I thank you that you're speaking to my heart. I thank you for conviction. 
and the awareness of my sin and the awareness of your hope. That you died for my sin and you rose to new life victorious so that I could live a whole new life by the power of your grace. So tonight I confess Jesus Christ is the Lord of everything. He's the ruler of the nations. He's the king of heaven. And he's the ruler of my life. I submit myself to the authority of Jesus. And tonight I declare that I will follow you for the rest of my life. Let your grace fill me now. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Listen to me tonight. If you prayed that prayer for the first time, you meant it from your heart. I want to assure you that upon the confession of your faith, you have been born again. The old is gone and the new has come. There's a brand new beginning inside of you. And there is the option that you've never had before, and it's to live a whole new kind of life. Things that you've struggled with in the past, you will still struggle with, but now you have grace on your side that you can actually struggle and win. You can actually find the grace of God empowering you to live like Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. It's a new beginning. I'm going to ask this whole room to stand to your feet. I feel like I feel like the weight of this moment, but I feel the joy of the Lord in this moment. Because I, I sense in this room a willingness to reach out and embrace truth and say, I want to follow Jesus and I want to contend for the faith. And I don't want to redefine it, I don't want to deconstruct it, but I want to carry the baton of faith in my generation. I want to stand though none go with me. If that's you tonight, I want you to lift your hand up good and high. You're like, I just want to follow Jesus. Hardcore. Come on, lift both your hands. Lift both your hands. Get your voice behind it and just begin to pray right now. Pray what the Spirit of God is birthing in your heart right now. Go ahead, lift your voice all over this room. Just, God, I am committing myself fresh tonight. I am going to go all the way. I want to be a disciple. I want to follow after you. I want to shine for you in a darkened world. I want to live for you in obedience. I want to swim upstream in this culture. I want you to get into my thinking. I want you to get into my decision making. I'm asking you, God, to absolutely meddle in every single part of my life. Put conviction on me. Things that I have previously had no conviction about. Put a conviction in me where I would actually feel an awareness that I need to change the way that I'm thinking, the way that I'm living. Give me a hunger. Come on, pray this prayer. Give me a hunger for your word. Give me a hunger for the word of God. Give me a hunger for the Bible. Give me a hunger to hear your voice. God, I want to be a disciple. I want to go all the way for you. I want to finish well. If I live another 90 years, I want to live for Jesus the whole way. I want to go all the way for you, God. I want to build a legacy of faith. I want my purity now to sow something into my marriage and something into my kids who I can't even think about yet. But I want to live now thinking of the next generation. I want to, like that salmon, swim upstream and get back to the point of origin and live a whole new kind of life by the power of the Spirit of God. Have your way in me, Lord Jesus. Have your way in this room. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Here's what I want you to do right where you are in this moment. Before we respond, we're going to respond in worship, and we're, we're going to do that in just a moment. But I want you to just put your hand on the shoulder of someone that you came with or someone that you're familiar with right there, and I want you to pray. Would you do that? I want you to pray for the person on your right. 
Okay, just pray for them. And then in a couple of moments, we'll pray for the person on your left. But I want you to pray together. Pray because listen, you're not alone. You're not just having a personal relationship with Jesus, but you're called into the body of Christ. And it's being modeled right here in this room. Come on, pray for one another. Just pray, God, give my sister strength. Give my brother strength. Give them the courage. Give them the, the grace to live strong. Some people in this room are fighting battles that you know nothing of. But grace is going to make a difference this week. Go ahead, pray. Lift your voice all over this room. Hold one another up in Jesus' name. Come on, believe your prayers making a difference. You're calling on God, the Lord of the universe, responding. His ear is attentive to your cry. He's listening to what you're praying right now. He's moving in on your prayer. There's a company of young adults empowered by the Holy Spirit. Come on, lift your voice and pray. Come on, pray, pray, pray. God's moving. God's listening. Come on, lift your voice. Yeah, he's building covenant friendships. Like David and Jonathan, we're going to stay true to the cause. Come on, pray. Yeah,